We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 610 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Friday, July 14th, 2023. The Galdi vacation is complete. We are back from the beach. Uh, And when you have a five-year-old son and a two-year-old daughter, uh, you need a vacation from (laughs) the vacation. Any of you listening who have small kids or have had small kids, of course, already know this. Uh, But yeah, the vacation from the vacation. Uh, a fascinating concept. Uh, I used to not really get that. Uh, I now totally <laughs> get that. Hello and welcome to this Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Is there a snag, a holdup, a reason for concern regarding <laughs> the sale of the commanders from Dan and Tanya Snyder to the Josh Harris Group being finalized this Thursday, July 20th, when NFL owners are set to vote on the sale? Well, The Washington Post early Thursday morning came out with a report quoting an anonymous source as saying that there with the sale are complications that are, quote, significant, end quote, end quote, not just some small snag, end quote, and, quote, hopefully it gets resolved. But at this point, it's serious, end quote. Uh, Boy, I would like to know who this anonymous source is, because these were some dramatic quotes that this anonymous source gave to the Washington Post. Uh, But yeah, not exactly what we want to hear or read right now. A total buzzkill of a report. The main issue per the report is the willingness of Dan Snyder and his family to indemnify the NFL and its owners against liability related uh, to this John Gruden lawsuit, the uh, John Gruden lawsuit against the NFL and NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell over Gruden's resignation as Las Vegas Raiders head coach in October 2021 off the leaked emails between Gruden and, yeah, our old pal Bruce Allen during John's time as an analyst for ESPN's Monday Night Football and during Brucey's time as a Redskins executive. Uh, However, I don't believe 
that we're at a point at which we should truly be worrying or doubting that the sale is going to be completed this coming Thursday. As things stand right now, you still should feel confident in this thing crossing the goal line next Thursday. I'll explain why next segment in reacting to this report. A report that, by the way, mentioned Michelle Snyder. Uh, Are you aware of Michelle Snyder? She is Dan Snyder's sister. Uh, She, per this Washington Post report, is unwilling to indemnify the league and its owners. You know, I've talked about this before. The ownership of the commanders isn't just Dan and Tanya Snyder. Uh, They officially are the co-owners and co-CEOs, but the team's ownership also does include Michelle Snyder and previously included Arlette Snyder, uh, Dan's and Michelle's mother. But uh, the team on July 19th, 2021 announced the passing of Arlette Snyder. Anyway, our next segment will discuss the latest in the sale of the Commanders. Boy, this sale cannot be over soon enough. This Thursday, July 20th, cannot come soon enough. Uh, And then after I talk about the latest in the sale of the Commanders, I will present to you not one, but two guests. I'm going to welcome on Wizards insider Josh Robbins of The Athletic. Uh, Josh is going to tell us how the likes of Bilal Koulibaly and Johnny Davis are doing for the Wizards in the Las Vegas Summer League. And Josh is going to tell us what is truly going on with the Wizards rebuild. You know, Josh, this past Saturday morning came out with a rather interesting piece on what the organizational thinking with this rebuild is. And the thinking is not what a lot of us had been thinking. Uh, And then I'm going to talk Orioles with One of the biggest Orioles fans out there, Eric Arditi of Barstool Sports. Uh, This guy has a tremendous passion for the O's. He's a smart Orioles fan, and so we are going to go in-depth on the terrific season that the birds be having. Uh, And among the items that we're going to get into, whether the O's should be aggressive buyers regarding the MLB trade deadline on August 1st. Of course, there's a difference between wanting to be an aggressive buyer and being allowed to be an aggressive buyer. Orioles Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Elias, will he be allowed by his boss, Orioles Chairman and CEO John Angelos, to be an aggressive buyer? Key question. Uh, Speaking of John Angelos, uh, we on Thursday afternoon got a joint statement from John Angelos and the Governor of Maryland, Wes Moore, addressing their, quote, vision to expand and revitalize the Camden Yards campus, end quote. Uh, Well, golly gee, that is swell. But you know what was not announced in that statement? Uh, A new lease. You know, the Orioles' current lease for Oriole Park at Camden Yards expires at the end of this year. Uh, John Angelos in February told reporters that he hoped to have a new lease done by the All-Star break, uh, but that has not happened. Uh, Now, the widespread expectation does remain that the lease will get done, and MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred on Tuesday told reporters that he had, quote, every confidence, end quote, in a resolution on the lease issue, uh, and that the O's will, quote, stay in Baltimore, end quote. Uh, But yeah, uh, the lease hasn't gotten done yet. And uh, the end of the year isn't that far away. Uh, Also, I want to make mention of this. A salute to a friend of this podcast. 
Michael Phillips. Uh, he has covered the team that we now call the Commanders uh, for years, has covered the team for the Richmond Times Dispatch. Uh, but Michael on Thursday afternoon tweeted that he had been let go. Uh, I hated to see that tweet. I have had Michael Phillips on as a guest on this podcast and on radio many times. Uh, Michael is smart. He is funny. He's a good man. Total class act. Uh, I'm sure that Michael Phillips will be fine. He'll be a major asset to whoever hires him. You know, what's happening in sports media right now is terrible with all of these firings. The whole industry is in a weird place. This really has been the case for a while now, but this is especially pronounced right now. And it is a strange deal, man. Whether you're actually good at your job has never meant less. I mean, it's as simple as that. Whether you're actually good at what you do has never meant less in the uh, wild and wacky world that is sports media. But I wish Michael Phillips all the best, and he is going to do uh, just fine. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of feedback off our conversation on Thursday's show, episode 609 with Eunice Davidson and Tony Andrews of the Native American Guardians Association, or NAGA which is a nonprofit organization advocating for increased education about Native Americans and for greater recognition of Native American heritage through the high-profile venues of sports and other public platforms. And Naga wants the commanders to go back to the name Redskins. A tweet from Patrick Jones, terrific to hear the Guardians take. Good idea, Goldie. A tweet from Crab Cakes and Football, great episode, but painful to hear the shame that the NFL caused these great people when the NFL stole the team's identity and replaced it with Scummy Snyder's <laughs> handpicked name and logo. A tweet from Yankee Skins. This was an excellent discussion. If only we had an ownership that put folks like Naga out front over the years, maybe the issue would have been dealt with differently. A tweet from Kevskin. Thanks for doing this, Al. The majority of the media doesn't want to acknowledge that there are two sides to this issue. A uh, tweet from Tom Weaver. My uncle was a full-blooded Cherokee who lived in Tennessee. He was a huge Redskins fan. He recently passed away, but when the name change was made, he became a Titans fan. Uh, thank you for all of the positive tweets about our conversation with Eunice and Tony. I did get this tweet <laughs> from Bill Laval. Look at Al. He managed to find a Native American group that thinks the word redskin reflects well on Native American people. Wonder if he'll give any of the many, many Native American groups and individuals that are opposed to that nickname equal time. <laughs> uh, thank you for that, Bill. Well, uh, like I said on Thursday's show, the spirit of the conversation with Eunice and Tony was not one of divisiveness or contempt. The spirit was one of civility and education and of a different perspective from the one that has been amplified the most. And that's the point. The Native American groups that are opposed to the name Redskins have been heard loud and clear and ultimately have won. What hasn't received nearly enough attention is the portion of Native Americans in favor of the name Redskins, uh, even though that portion may well constitute an overwhelming majority of Native Americans. Uh, anyway, I do appreciate all of the feedback and uh, participation in the debate, and I will always appreciate the great law firm of Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact 
Paulson and Nace. You know, Paulson and Nace has been in existence longer <laughs> than the Redskins name debate has been. Founded in 1979, Paulson and Nace is dedicated to promoting the rights of seriously injured persons and their families. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. And by the way, a big congratulations to Chris Nace, who was just named the 2023 Barry J. Nace Trial Lawyer of the Year. Uh, This by the D.C. Trial Lawyers Association. Paulson and Nace does not accept Low settlement offers that benefit the people who cause clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. And this is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial. And that's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. Make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You could also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Well, one of the best comedies of the 1980s was a movie called Fletch. Uh, Fletch starred Chevy Chase. Uh, It was a very 1980s movie in terms of the humor and the style and the music. I mean, the movie came out before my time, but I did watch the movie many years later. The first time that I saw Fletch, I didn't think that it was that good, but then I watched it a few more times and I liked it more. Anyway, one of the funnier scenes in Fletch is when Fletch, uh, played by Chevy Chase, is in a doctor's office. And the premise of Fletch is that he's a newspaper reporter trying to solve a murder. And he often pretends to be different people to get to the bottom of what's going on. So Fletch is in this doctor's office. And the doctor, in thinking that Fletch is somebody else, starts talking to Fletch about this guy named Ed who passed away. And Fletch has no idea who this guy, Ed, is. But in order to keep up the ruse, uh, Fletch acts like he knows exactly who Ed is and knows exactly what the doctor is talking about. Here is the crux of this scene. You know, it's a shame about Ed. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was really a shame. It goes so suddenly like that. He's dying for years. Sure, but uh, the end was very, very sudden. He was in intensive care for eight weeks. Yeah, but I mean the very end, when he actually died, that was extremely sudden. 
Yeah, but the very end, when he actually died, that was extremely sudden. Uh, the very end, that split second, that <laughs> was sudden. Uh, will the end of Dan Snyder's 24-plus year reign as owner of the Redskins slash Washington football team slash commanders uh, be extremely sudden? Uh, not really, no. Uh, the Dan Snyder saga has been going on for two plus decades. We first learned that uh, Danny Boy was selling the team this past November 2nd. And along the way, there have been multiple milestone moments and surprising twists and even conflicting reports to the point that we all have been ready for quite some time uh, for this thing to be over. There's nothing really sudden about Dan Snyder selling the team. You actually could argue that uh, this vote of NFL owners this Thursday, July 20th, to approve the sale of the team to the Josh Harris group will be anticlimactic. But whatever, right? I mean, what matters far more than how we're feeling about the sale of the team or our emotions during this process of the sale of the team is that the sale is happening. The what matters far more than the when and the how. Dan Snyder selling this team was unthinkable nine months ago. Now here we are, and we are days away from the unthinkable being complete. Or are we? (laughs) Well, I do think that we are. Uh, Although, we have been given some uh, cause for pause. Uh, NFL insider Mark Maskey of the Washington Post and Commanders insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post. They early Thursday morning came out with a piece headline, quote, legal snags between NFL, comma, Snyder threaten to complicate commander's sale. The piece essentially was a follow-up to what we talked about on Thursday's show, episode 609, uh, the latest bombshell report by ESPN senior writers Don Van Nata Jr. and Seth Wickersham. That piece came out on Wednesday morning and was about the now infamous leaked emails between Bruce Allen and John Gruden during Bruce's time as a Skins executive and during John's time as an analyst for ESPN's Monday Night Football. The emails were uncovered via the Beth Wilkinson investigation into the workplace misconduct scandal for Washington. One of the key aspects of that ESPN piece was who leaked the emails. Uh, The ESPN piece implicated a number of potential leakers, uh, some or even all of whom may have worked together. Uh, These potential leakers included Dan Snyder, Uh, top NFL executives, including NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and now former NFL Players Association Executive Director Demora Smith. Anyway, this Washington Post report from early Thursday morning quoted an unnamed source as saying that there now are complications with the finalizing of the sale of the commanders. Quote, that person described the complications as significant and not just some small snag expressing the view that the issues could delay the owner's approval of the sale and the closing of the deal if they're not resolved. But the person also left open the possibility that Snyder and his attorneys merely are attempting to extract last-minute concessions from the NFL on legal indemnification related to Gruden's lawsuit against the league, and the issues will be resolved in time for the owners to ratify the deal as expected next Thursday. Hopefully it gets resolved, that person said, but at this point, it's serious. 
Snyder is not seeking for the league and the other owners to indemnify him against future legal liability. The complications relate to the willingness of Snyder and his family to indemnify the league and owners against liability related to the Gruden case, end quote. Yeah, the more that time goes on, the more that this John Gruden lawsuit looms large. Uh, John Gruden, on October 11th, 2021, resigned as Las Vegas Raiders head coach off multiple reports of him having used racist, misogynistic, and anti-gay language in these leaked emails. Uh, The emails were revealed via two reports, one by the Wall Street Journal on October 8th, 2021, and one by the New York Times on October 11th, 2021. It was these leaked emails that not only cost John Gruden his job as Raiders head coach, but also reignited Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. And it was the reigniting of that scandal that ultimately has helped to bring us to Dan Snyder selling the team. But John Gruden in November 2021 filed a lawsuit against the NFL and Roger Goodell, alleging that the NFL and Goodell sought to ruin Gruden's career by releasing these emails, quote, through a malicious and orchestrated campaign, the NFL and Commissioner Roger Goodell sought to destroy the career and reputation of John Gruden, end quote. It is interesting that according to this report from the Washington Post early Thursday morning, the possible hang up in the sale of the commanders is Dan Snyder and his family indemnifying the league and owners against liability related to the Gruden case, as opposed to Dan seeking indemnification from the NFL. Uh, This concept of someone indemnifying somebody else in this sale of the commanders first came up via a report from the Washington Post back on February 27th, when the Post reported that Dan was demanding that other NFL owners indemnify him against future legal liability and expenses if he sells the team, angering some NFL owners and Roger Goodell. That report from the Washington Post this past February 27th also said that NFL owners would attempt to force Dan Snyder to sell the team if he didn't sell it voluntarily. And that report from the Washington Post this past February 27th also had this, quote, according to one of the people with knowledge of the situation, Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones is attempting to broker a peace by which Snyder would sell the commanders and leave the NFL without further acrimony, end quote. Uh, And sure enough, it would appear that that is what has ended up happening. It's interesting looking back on this stuff. Let me bottom line all of this, though. Uh, I don't see what was reported by the Washington Post early Thursday morning as reason for major concern. Uh, This strikes me as some last-minute resistance, some last-minute posturing, some last-minute negotiating between Dan Snyder and the NFL. And sure enough, sports business insider A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports. Uh, We on Thursday afternoon learned that a source had told him that, quote, it doesn't appear any issues will hold up next week's vote, end quote. Uh, As we all have come to know, nothing with Dan Snyder as owner of the team is easy. And so why should the most monumental thing to ever happen with Dan as owner of the team, him selling the team, be easy? But, you know, this last minute haggling does highlight something. And that something is Dan Snyder potentially having more leverage in this situation 
than people like to admit. First of all, because the NFL has never wanted to vote Dan Snyder out because of the precedent that would be set and instead has taken this course of him being uh, voluntold to sell the team, uh, there is a lack of leverage for the league from a standpoint of technically Dan doesn't have to sell the team, even though, yes, in reality, he basically does have to sell the team. Additionally, there ain't no halo over the head of the NFL. And Dan Snyder has used that to his advantage. Uh, There are skeletons in the closets of other NFL owners. And even in the league office, if it in fact leaked these Bruce Allen, John Gruden emails. You know, ESPN in multiple reports now has told of how Dan Snyder in various ways has threatened to pull back the curtain on other NFL owners and on the league. I mean, how about what was in that piece from this past Wednesday morning, this so-called blackmail PowerPoint, uh, a presentation by Dan's lawyers to the NFL, quote, (laughs) of screenshots of potentially embarrassing emails and texts from several top league executives, including Goodell's top lieutenant, Jeff Pash, end quote. Say what you want about Dan Snyder, okay? Say what you want about our guy, Danny Boy, but the guy has some chutzpah, all right? The guy is tenacious. He will use or at least threaten to use every dirty, underhanded trick in the book to get what he wants. And the NFL fears this, but if you're worried about this coming Thursday, July 20th, not being the glorious day that we've all been anticipating, uh, do not worry. Not yet, anyway. But if you are worried about having a bad lawn or even worse, drainage problems, uh, do yourself a favor, contact Turf Center Lawns. Turf Center Lawns offers a variety of residential and commercial landscaping services. It is a local, multi-generational family business serving Maryland, Virginia, and Washington, D.C. Turf Center Lawns offers lawn care programs that will make and keep your lawn lush and green. Uh, Turf Center Lawns is outstanding at handling water problems. You know, intense summer storms can cause water and drainage problems for your home or business. Turf Center Lawns offers affordable and effective grading-based drainage solutions to prevent flooding, erosion, and wet basements and crawl spaces. Uh, Also, if you are a coach, an athletic director, a booster, uh, know that Turf Center Lawns can create, improve, and or maintain athletic fields. Uh, Turf Center Lawns will give you and your team a professional, natural grass athletic field uh, and performs maintenance with a specializing in Bermuda grass fields. Turf Center Lawns installed the original Bermuda grass fields at a number of major venues, including the Commander's FedEx Field, when it opened as Jack Ken Cook Stadium in 1997, Prince George's County Stadium, home of the Orioles AA affiliate, the Bowie Bay Sox, and Arthur W. Purdue Stadium, home of the Orioles Low A affiliate, the Delmarva Shorebirds. Turf Center Lawns also installs and rebuilds baseball and softball infields, batting cages, home putting greens, even bocce courts. Uh, If you have landscaping needs, drainage issues, or athletic field needs, contact Turf Center Lawns. Consultations and estimates are free. You have nothing to lose. Call 301-384-9300 or visit turfcenterlawns.com. That's 301-384-9300 or turfcenterlawns.com. And make sure that you tell Turf Center Lawns that Al Galdi sent you. 
Uh, the Turf Center Lawns team is comprised of experts in their field. Uh, they share a deep commitment to exceed customer expectations on every job, whether large or small. Look, when you hire Turf Center Lawns, your satisfaction is guaranteed. Call 301-384-9300 or visit TurfCenterLawns.com. That's 301-384-9300 or TurfCenterLawns.com. And make sure that you tell Turf Center Lawns that Al Galdi sent you. Well, the Wizards are in the midst of their summer league season. Uh, They are again playing in the NBA Summer League in Las Vegas. Uh, They've played three games so far. Their next game is on Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Appropriate considering the histories that Michael Winger and Will Dawkins have with the Thunder. Uh, You know, you take a step back. So much has happened with the Wizards over these last three months. Uh, We have had the firing of Tommy Shepard as president and general manager. We have had the hirings of... Michael Winger as president of Monumental Basketball, Will Dawkins as general manager, and Travis Schlank as senior vice president of player personnel. We have had the promotion of JT3, John Thompson III, senior vice president of Monumental Basketball. We have had the trades of Bradley Beal, Chris Dabbs, Porzingis, and Monte Morris. We have had the trade of Chris Paul, who was acquired in that Beal trade, and the Paul trade brought back a package that included Jordan Poole. We have had the re-signing of unrestricted free agent Kyle Kuzma. We have had the trade-up on the night of the 2023 NBA draft, a trade-up that landed the Wizards Bilal Koulibaly. A lot has happened with the Wizards over these last three months. I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast for the first time, Wizards insider Josh Robbins of The Athletic. He also is the co-host of The Athletic's Bullet Points podcast. You can follow Josh on Twitter at Joshua B. Robbins. Josh, it's nice to talk to you. How are you? I'm happy to be here. (laughs) Very good. Uh, Before we get to the bigger picture stuff, with the Wizards. You have been in Las Vegas for the Wizards Summer League play. Among those playing on the Wizards Summer League team is Bilal Koulibaly. Uh, he's actually leading the team in minutes per game. Uh, how has he looked to you? He's, he's looked exactly as he was touted when the Wizards surprisingly drafted him. Uh, someone with a lot of athletic skill, someone who plays hard, defensive potential. His offense at 18 years old is raw. So there are a lot of um, building blocks that he has in place now, building blocks that would help him fulfill his potential. But it's going to take time for the full, his full potential to manifest itself uh, several years, I would think, which is okay, considering he's only 18 and considering that this is going to be a multi-year rebuild for the Wizards. That's exactly what they expected and what they knew when they traded up to draft him. Uh, The Wizards' leader in points per game in summer league play so far is the team's 2022 first-round pick, Johnny Davis, uh, who, of course, had a really disappointing rookie season. How should Wizards fans be thinking about Johnny Davis? I mean, you don't want to give up on a guy after just one season, but that was a frighteningly bad rookie season. Hmm. A great, a great basic question with a, a somewhat complex answer. If you're a human being, you ought to be hoping that what you saw in that first year was uh, 
was not what will be in the future. But I think in summer league, a lot of what people have seen is the same as last year. I, I don't see a tremendous amount of change, except that he is shooting more shots, which is beneficial, which shows that he is keeping his confidence up. But when I say if you're a human being, you're hoping that that he makes a rebound. No one wants to see someone be labeled a failure, right? Uh, no one wants to see another person labeled a bust. Uh, right now, though, he's not at a point where he's offered much to contradict that opinion. So he's, yes, he's leading the summer league team in points, but he is still struggling to be able to really leave his mark on the offensive game. The wizards would say, and their their summer league coach Landon Tatum has often said that he's doing well defensively. Well, that's true. But if you're going to be a 10th pick who played two years in big 10 basketball, high level college basketball, you need more. You need more. And his upside on the defensive end is not what Bilal Kulubali's is. I recognize that they play different positions, but so far there hasn't been much that he has displayed that really indicates that he will be a high-level NBA player. Yeah, I'm a Wizards fan. I'm hoping for the best with Johnny Davis, but it is hard to be super optimistic. So, the Wizards, uh, quite a few changes <laughs> since the end of the team's 2022-2023 season, uh, which ended on April 9th. If the Josh Robbins of today went in a time machine and told his April 9th self about everything that has happened with the Wizards since April 9th, would the April 9th Josh Robbins be surprised or not really? <laughs> in this hypothetical, would you have told that former Josh Robbins, that they would have changed the front office? Does that include that? Yes, all changes. Uh, then yes, I, I would have believed it. I would have believed it. Uh, I would have expected them to go a little bit further, though. I would have expected them under everything that happened up to the start, well, right up through the trade of Porzingis, I then would have expected them to also have not re-signed Kyle Kuzma or sent him elsewhere in a sign-and-trade because once those two moves occurred, most executives for rival teams in the league expected there to be not just a 120-degree shift, a 180-degree shift immediately. Instead, it's been not a complete and total rebuild, but a 120 to 140-degree rebuild where they haven't totally stripped down the roster. So I would have expected them to go a little bit further to really optimize their chances to, to win the lottery next year and to then pick fourth as opposed to fifth or, or sixth, etc. if they lost the lottery. Uh, but they are on their way toward a rebuild. So maybe a, a le more lengthy answer to what your very clear question was. Along those lines, uh, you and a piece that came out this past Saturday morning, July 8th, had something very interesting on what exactly the Wizards are doing. Quote, although a dramatic shift has started, Washington may be as many as two seasons away from going into full rebuild mode if 
it gets there at all, said league sources who were granted anonymity to discuss the organization's plans more freely. Team officials are said to regard the upcoming 2023-24 season and perhaps also the 2024-25 season as something akin to a rejuvenation period for the organization, a time for the players and the basketball operations staff to regain some of the momentum, accountability, competitiveness, and above all else, the joy (laughs) that had evaporated in recent years. It's time to rebuild the culture which deteriorated during the flawed plan to build around Beal and after moves that backfired. End quote. That was quite a sobering passage (laughs) to read as a Wizards fan, but what do you make of this? That we right now may not be in the full-fledged Wizards rebuild in which we thought we were. And when I say full-fledged rebuild, I mean stripping the roster down to its almost bare minimums, including Bilal Koulibaly and including Denny Avdia. What I make of it is many things. I, I think that the wizard, the new executives arrived and they see this mediocrity and a tolerance of mediocrity. And with that being the case, if they were to strip down the entire the entire team, you'd only be depressing the the whole organization more. What they are trying to do is to try to build up some internal momentum, uh, some momentum around Washington, but more really internally to the team and internally in the franchise. And then a year from now, maybe two years from now, maybe never, then declare a more definitive path and which happens more very importantly to dovetail with the the notion that they're going to be at least two high level elite level prospects for whom to really strip down your roster and to really play for lottery odds including carlos boozer's son and a, a kid from maine named cooper flag so all of that is in play plus the fact that you don't want to see Kyle Kuzma sign elsewhere for receiving no one in return. So all that what I said was true, but you also have to layer on to the fact that if Kuzma were had signed elsewhere, you don't receive any draft picks or people back. So there's going to be the real possibility that as soon as this trade deadline, certainly before the 24-25 trade deadline, that he gets traded. And if he happens to increase his trade value between now and then, I think from the Wizards' perspective, so much the better. Same with Jordan Poole, same with anyone else on the roster, probably short of their draft picks. We're talking with Wizards insider Josh Robbins of The Athletic. So my take on the Wizards re-signing Kyle Kuzma and acquiring Jordan Poole via trading Chris Paul to the Golden State Warriors is that, yes, each guy, Kuzma and Poole, is on a big money contract. But what's good about each guy is that each guy is young enough and talented enough to where he could be a potential building block or a potential trade chip. And to me right now, those two things are what the Wizards should be having on the roster, potential building blocks and potential trade chips. So having Kuzma and Poole on the Wizards as they are rebuilding Uh, does make sense, especially considering Kuzma's contract. And you and NBA insider Sham Sharania of The Athletic and Stadium this past Saturday afternoon, July 8th, 
broke some big news on the Kuzma contract. Uh, it is not the four-year, $102 million contract that ESPN NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski on June 30th reported was the case. Instead, the Kuzma contract is a four-year contract with $90 million guaranteed and, quote, $6 million in unlikely incentive bonuses tied to team performance, end quote. That's true. And what I should have also added is, even with them on the roster, even with everyone else on the roster for this upcoming season, which includes Danilo Gallinari, which includes Tyus Jones, most importantly of all, um, we can go down the line, DeLon Wright, uh, they, they probably won't be good enough to even challenge for a play-in spot. So all of this that I've said, while accurate, I need to keep the context in mind. They're not blatantly what people would say tanking. And as a matter of fact, they would say that they are hoping that they build this momentum. Uh, But even if they're trying their hardest to win every game, which is exactly what they need, the coaching staff and the players need to do from their perspectives, there's a real possibility that they're still going to end up in the bottom four, bottom five, maybe even in the bottom three of the standings anyway. So much has happened with the Wizards over these last three months. Is there another major move that still could happen this offseason, or is the team done with the big moves this offseason? I think they're done with the big moves this offseason. You could say that they should add a third big or a second traditional center. That's true. But right now they haven't, I think they have, by my last count, 16 players on guaranteed contracts and the, the limit for a conventional contract is 15. Uh, could they be a third or a fourth team in a larger deal for in a James Harden deal or a Dame Lillard deal? Yes. Now that's a possibility, but I wouldn't imagine in that scenario, marquee players going out the door here in Washington, but uh, it would, it might very well serve their needs to, pick up maybe some draft capital or a, a, a player, a traded a TP, a traded player exception. Uh, so that's a possibility. And I think that they're going to be op- opportunistic for a deal such as that, as the, the third team in a much larger thir- three team deal or fourth team. So that I wouldn't be surprised by. When you look at what the Wizards got back for Bradley Beal and Chris Dapps Porzingis, and included in that would be what the Wizards got back for Chris Paul, could Michael Winger, Will Dawkins, and Travis Schlank reasonably have done better in what they got back for Beal, Porzingis, and Paul, given the circumstances? Beal, no, because he determined where he went. Could the Wizards have played hardball and tried to keep Jordan Goodwin out of that deal? Perhaps so, yes. Um, but the guard rotation is filled already, and I suspect they didn't feel like he would be playing very much. Uh, in ter- and with the Beal deal, you can't discount that Jordan Poole came back because of Chris Paul getting rerouted to Golden State. And not just Jordan Poole, they also received Ryan Rollins, they also received Patrick Baldwin Jr., two young guys where Rollins is probably the higher upside player because he plays point guard and because he's a 
pretty decent athlete and he's got good positional size plus a a first round pick that might not convey probably won't convey um so in terms of Beal, no, they couldn't have done better. In terms of Porzingis, no, because in many ways he determined where he could go because he had this deadline of whether he was going to opt in or not. So all he had to do was say, hey, uh, I get the sense that you don't want me here for the long term, uh, and it probably wouldn't make sense for you to want me here for the long term. I'll just become an unrestricted free agent and, and go out the door. Um, so they, the wizards were limited there too, in many ways. And they brought back, a, at least one of the league's best backup point guards and potentially someone who could be, um, a legitimate NBA starting point guard. It's not often that a team undergoes major front office change and yet retains a first time head coach whose first two seasons as head coach have been disappointing seasons. Uh, and yet, that's exactly what we have with Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. Uh, now, personally, I don't have a major problem with the team keeping Wes for a third season, but what is the internal thinking in Wes still being the head coach? I think this was something that was determined prior to the hiring or even the interviewing of Michael Winger. I, that was determined by Ted Leonsis before the Wizards probably were even asked for permission to reach out to Michael Winger's agent and say, hey, may we speak to you? So that was a, an ownership level decision that I believe was made out of fairness or perceived fairness to Wes Unsell Jr. with, I think, uh, probably from Ted Leonsis's point of view, and he, this is conjecture that, yes, there is a lot. there was a lot of, um, for lack of a better word, blame for the Wizards predicament. But most of it was from a roster construct construction strategy and less of it was from the coaching strategy. And I think the the, the thought was, well, Wes Unsell Jr. Deserve, and his coaches deserve at least one more chance to see what they can do with a different roster. But this leads into a season upcoming that is going to be an evaluation season for Unselled and his assistant coaches, just as it is for the incumbent players. I, I've covered a season like that in which the coach and his coaching staff remains, but there's a brand new chief decision maker on the basketball operations side, and it it's not necessarily going to be pretty. Uh, that was Frank Vogel being the incumbent coach for a second season in Orlando after there was a, a significant basketball operations executive change. So. In many ways, I think it's fair to say that Wes Unsell Jr. is going to be coaching for his job in the year ahead. I don't think that's unfair to say, particularly given that the team is going to be in the direction of bottoming out. They want to see that he and his assistant coaches can develop the players it has. And they have several young players who need more than several who need to develop that seems like a recipe for some problems. A head coach being forced on a new front office regime. Heck, we had this with the Wizards 20 years ago, 2003, when the Wizards hired Eddie Jordan as head coach and then hired Ernie Grunfeld as president of basketball operations. And uh, there ended up being problems between Eddie and Ernie. Wizards insider Josh Robbins of The Athletic. Uh, he also is the co-host of The Athletic's Bullet Points podcast. Uh, Josh, thanks a lot. All the best. Thanks for having me out.
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A big help is if you subscribe to rate and review this podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast via most platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. A subscription to this podcast does not cost you a single penny. And make sure that you never miss an episode. Uh, Also, you want Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Uh, Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you want Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review can be just a sentence or two. Can't be more, but doesn't have to be. Uh, But thank you for subscribing, rating, and reviewing. The post-All-Star break portions of the Nationals and Orioles seasons begin on Friday. Uh, The Nats this weekend have a three-game series at the St. Louis Cardinals in a battle of uh, two of the three worst teams in the National League. Uh, game one, Friday night at 8.15. Trevor Williams will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday night at 7.15. Jake Irvin will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three, Sunday afternoon at 2.15. Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. The O's this weekend have a three-game series against the Miami Marlins at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. The Marlins, believe it or not, have the second best record in the National League, despite having a run differential of minus five. Uh, Game one, Friday night at 7.05, Dean Kramer will be the Orioles starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday night at 7.05, Kyle Gibson will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And game three, Sunday afternoon at 1.35, Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles starting pitcher. This is the only Washington, D.C. sports podcast or show that talks Orioles. Uh, Why? Uh, Well, because we understand and don't ignore that there still are many Orioles fans in the Washington, D.C. area. The Nats are the Major League Baseball team of Washington, D.C., but D.C. had no Major League team from 1972 through 2004. I mean, think about that time span. That's quite a few years, 1972 
through 2004. And so multiple generations of DC sports fans, including me, grew up as Orioles fans. And whereas the Nats are rebuilding, the O's are coming out of their rebuild and are coming out of their rebuild in tremendous fashion. The O's in the 2022 regular season went 83 and 79, joining the immortal 1890 Louisville Colonels and the equally immortal 1899 St. Louis Perfectos <laughs> as the only major league teams ever to finish 500 or better in a regular season after recording at least 110 losses in the prior regular season. And the O's in this 2023 regular season are 54 and 35. That is the second best record in the American League. The O's are just two games behind the American League leading Tampa Bay Rays for first in the American League East. Uh, the O's have won five consecutive games that is tied for the longest current winning streak in the majors. Uh, the O's for Tuesday night's All-Star game had four All-Stars in catcher Adley Rutschman, outfielder Austin Hayes, and relievers Felix Batista and Yadier Cano. First time since 2016 that the O's had more than one All-Star in a season. Uh, the O's in 2016 actually had five All-Stars, and the O's, as we speak, have eight of the top 100 prospects in baseball per MLB pipeline, including the number one prospect in shortstop Jackson Holiday. And someone who is thrilled about all of this is the man who joins me now, Eric Arditi of Barstool Sports, co-host of the Exit 52 podcast. He is a huge O's fan. Uh, he is a great follow on Twitter. You can follow Eric on Twitter at E-D-I-T-T-I-22. Eric puts out a lot of smart and funny tweets about the O's. Eric, it's nice to talk to you again. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for having me on. Uh, again, I know last year when we talked, it was kind of like, it was kind of the appetizer. And I was hoping we would get the main course. And it seems like the main course is here. And, and I could not be more thrilled. Yeah, the Orioles so far this season are eating well. Uh, so I wasn't quite sure what to expect from the O's this season. The Las Vegas oddsmakers were down on the O's. The Sabermetrics projections were down on the O's. I was hopeful, but I also was cognizant that some regression could be coming. But instead, this team is rolling. Uh, are you surprised at how well this Orioles season is going? Yeah, I mean, I, I think if, again, in, in you know, mid-March or whatever, if someone would have said, hey, listen, the Orioles are going to go into the All-Star break with four All-Stars, you know, have a guy in the home run derby, and they're going to have the third best record in baseball. Oh, by the way, the Rays are going to get off to this historic start, and then at the break, you're going to be two games behind them. You'd be like, that, no, so, you know, something's going to add, that can't happen. But again, it's all, it's all kind of happened for them. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely surprised. I thought they would be good. I saw, you know, 77 and a half for some of the, you know, the odds for the, the win total. And I mean, they're at 54 right now. So they can beat that by 25 or 30, you know, so it's not 30, but that, that's, that's a little much, but no, I, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely surprised again. It, it, it's been great to see them play good baseball and, and, you know, I think they're going to keep it up in the second half. A number of Orioles players are having good seasons. Who do you has been the team's MVP so far this season? I was having this talk with people the other day, and, and I mean, there's there's two or three guys you could really say. You could say Adley for just everything he does. You look at his numbers, and again, they don't blow you off the you know they, they don't blow you off the page or anything. I mean, 260, you know, 12 home runs, and, and you know he was hot early, and he's kind of cooled down. Um, great on base percentage and all that. He's walking more than anyone, 
you could go him because, again, the leadership and just everything he's brought to the team. Could go Felix Bautista, who we saw blow the All-Star game, which is fine. Again, it's a game that doesn't matter. Um, but he's been lights out as a closer pretty much. Um, and a guy that that I've kind of started to, to say, like, hey, you know, he may be the, the most valuable Orioles, Austin Hayes, who's just played so dang well this whole season. He's, he's just been consistently awesome. Again, he was, you know, top three or four and average in the AL. Um, he's, he's playing really, really well. He's playing awesome defense. So I, between those guys, I may just lean Adley just because, again, he's the face of the franchise. He's the easy pick. But, um, again, I mean, you know, we talked about it last year. Everything kind of changed when, when he came up, and we're still seeing that, you know, today. Yeah, and Adley Rutschman being called up to the majors started this run of seemingly every other day now, the O's calling up a well-regarded prospect. Uh, Saturday morning, May 21st, 2022, 8 a.m. Eastern, uh, the O's announced that they had selected the contract of Adley Rutschman from AAA Norfolk, and it feels like the team has done well ever since. To me, enough good things cannot be said about the man in charge of Orioles baseball operations, executive vice president and general manager, Mike Elias. The O's in November 2018 hiring him changed everything. As we now are less than three weeks away from the 2023 MLB trade deadline on August 1st, do you want Elias as an aggressive buyer? Do you want him to instead continue to stay the course? What is the right approach for the O's regarding the trade deadline? I think being aggressive is the move. Um, again, we saw it last year where they were they were in the hunt for the you know the wild card, and they ended up trading Trey Mancini and Jorge Lopez. Um, and that was kind of I know Orioles fans were upset with that because again they're like, listen, we're right there. You just traded our all star closer. You know, you traded again the face of the franchise last year and Trey. Um, I, I think that we're in two different spots now. I think now is the time where, again, they're two games back of first place in, in the best division in, in that baseball has seen in a long time. It's like, listen, you've got a chance to do something. This offense is World Series caliber, you know, at times. I mean, we saw it the last five games for the All-Star break. They were they were unbelievable. And everyone has kind of said the same thing. They'll go as far as the pitching takes them. You know, I, I like the starters. They don't scare anyone in October. You know, same thing with the bullpen. The bull, the back end of the bullpen with Cano and Bautista is awesome. Everything before that is kind of shaky. So, yeah, I would like to see them be aggressive for an arm, you know, a bullpen arm, a starter. Like, I liked what the Rangers did, you know, a couple weeks ago going to get Chapman. They did it before all the, the nonsense and the trade deadline and stuff like that. Just get it out of the way. So I, I would love for them to make a move soon and, again, kind of show, hey, guys, look. We know we, we think we can win this year, and we're going to try and do it. And again, like you mentioned, the prospects, they've got the guys to make moves. They have, you know, it's a great problem to have when you have, you know, six or eight top 100 guys, and you're like, we can't fit all these guys here. We got to, you know, you got to do something. I think Brad Pitt said it in Fight Club. You got to break some eggs to make an omelet. So it's going to happen. It has to happen. So, yeah, I, I would be, I think if, if you know, they want to show the team, the fans, everyone, baseball, Hey, look, the Orioles are for real. We're going to go for this. I think you go out and you make you make a trade for, again, some bullpen arms, get a starter or two, and, and you know, you kind of gear up for the postseason. I'm glad that you mentioned the Orioles starting pitching. And uh, to adhere to the Fight Club analogy, the Orioles starting pitching at times is Brad Pitt in Fight Club and at times is Edward Norton in Fight Club. It's hard to know exactly what to think about this rotation. How do you view it? I don't know. It's it's because I mean you're right. You're 
spot on. Again, they're kind of like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, where again, you know, like you said, the last five games before the All-Star break, they were awesome. And, and you know, Tyler Wells has been the kind of consistent guy all year um, where it, he'll give up home runs. I mean, he's leading MLB in whip, but he's also, I think he's given up 20 or more home runs. So he, he limits the day, and that's a good thing about him. Again, he leads Major League Baseball in whip. So when he gives up a home run, it's a solo shot. I think he's given up like two home runs this year that have been a two run or three runs. So, I, you know, he's he's limiting damage. But other than that, again, Dean Kramer has been up and down. You know, he's he's looked really good. And he's looked really bad. I mean, he had a start against the Nats. And I think it was like late April where we were saying, look, if he gets shelled by the Nats right here, he's he's going down to, you know, Norfolk. You got to send him down. And he's been good. And then he's kind of come back down to earth a little bit. Kyle Bradish has really surprised me. Um, he's been awesome. He, he looked really good. Uh, again, his last couple of starts, he's just been awesome. Um, Cole Irvin, again, they traded for him in the offseason. Hasn't really been what we wanted. He spent some time in AAA, but he's kind of rebounded. And then kind of the big one is Grayson Rodriguez. I mean, we were – I was fired up more than anyone when, when they, they called him up. And I was, I, was, I was pretty ticked off when he didn't make the roster. I thought he deserved to make it out of spring training. He makes his debut on August, uh, April 5th against the Rangers and DeGrom. And then, you know, he kind of – he was okay. And then he kind of just fell off a cliff. And he was just named the, uh, you know, Norfolk's um, – forget what league, but the pitcher of the month for AAA. So – and, you know – they got John Means coming back. So it's weird because, again, we want them to make a trade, but they have just so many guys there. So, yeah, it's – I don't know. It, it's been a weird – it's been a weird year for the rotation. But, uh, yeah, it's just kind of you pass the baton and, and you hope the next guy can can do better than the, uh, the guy before him. That's a good point about John Means. Uh, he underwent Tommy John surgery on his left elbow on April 27th. 2022. Then Mike Elias, in a session with reporters this past May 26, revealed that Means had strained the scapular region in his upper back while performing rehab work uh, in his comeback from Tommy John. But no doubt, Means coming back this season and being the starting pitcher he has been uh, would be like a major trade acquisition for the Orioles rotation. We're talking O's with Eric Arditi of Barstool Sports. The expectation going into this past offseason was that the O's were going to spend. Uh, and yet they really didn't spend. Now, personally, I don't have a big problem with that because so many of these big money free agent contracts don't work out. But it does stand out that Mike Elias was talking like he was going to spend, but ended up really not spending all that much. Do you think that the O's' past offseason did not make the big splash in free agency because Elias chose not to or because Elias was not allowed to? Uh, by the Orioles chairman and CEO, John Angelos. I, I think he wasn't allowed to. I think the Masson lawsuit, and not just that lawsuit, the lawsuit between the two sons, between, you know, it, John and Lou, it's like, again, how are you going gonna to tap them on the shoulder and be like, hey, can I, can I get a check for this guy? <laughs> and meanwhile, they're bickering with their mom and trying to sue each other. So I, I think that did have a lot to do with it. And, and that's what I'm trying to like tell people because they're like, listen, Mike Lyons said liftoff. And said, yeah, but it's not easy to spend someone else's money. Again, like, you know, and it takes two to tango. We don't know. They, he may have had offers out to some of these pitchers. And, you, you know, they just got turned down, which is fine. You know, it happens. But like I said, it takes two to tango. Um, but, no, I, I think I think they probably wanted to. I don't know, again, who their main targets are. Like, they weren't going to get a Verlander or anyone like that. Like, they weren't going to make that big splash, I don't think. But I think, again, they did want to do more than bring in Kyle Gibson and Adam Frazier. And, you know, some guys like that. But yeah, I, I really do think that Elias was kind of handcuffed by, I mean, pick whichever lawsuit you want to you blame it on. But I think that definitely had a lot to do with it. 
the Orioles so far this regular season, despite their success, are just 23rd out of 30 major league teams in average home attendance. Uh, one spot behind the Nats, actually. Now, you know, the Orioles' attendance problem isn't new. This has been going on for years. There's a lot that has gone into this. But do you see attendance at Oriole Park at Camden Yards drastically increasing anytime soon? I, I think we will see an increase. Um, again, I mean, you know, and it's the same excuses every time. Oh, it's a school night or, oh, you know, it's the summer. People are out of town. They're going to the beach. You know, they're, they're doing this and that. I do think, again, as we kind of get into, you know, again, September, you know, August and all that stuff, I think we will see the fans come out. I mean, I've been at some games this year where the, the, the crowds are incredible. And, and again, you know, they are the giveaway games and stuff like that or a concert or something, you know, something along those lines to get the fans out. But again, if it, if it works, it works. But no, I, I think, again, if they keep playing good baseball and we look up in the in middle of August and they're 25 games above 500, I think the casual kind of fans are going to start to take note and be like, you know what? Let's go to an Orioles game tonight. You know, let, let's go down there. And, and, you know, again, they're doing a lot to improve the area down there around the ballpark. Again, it's not the safest. I've been held up and mugged at gunpoint leaving an Orioles game. So, again, I, I understand as much as anyone who said they don't feel safe but again they're doing a great job around the ballpark to, to kind of make it you know and they, they want to do what Atlanta's going to do where they build just kind of a community around the ballpark so I, I do think again people will start coming out um, I think they're going to realize this team is really good they're not a fluke you know they're not they're not the pirates who, were, who had a good month and a half or something like that and trail off um, I, I do think that we'll see the attendance slowly start to uh, to tick up as you know, it's not normal that the manager who leads a team through a rebuild remains that team's manager once it is uh, bearing the fruits of that rebuild. And yet, that's what the Orioles have with Brandon Hyde. Uh, they hired him in December 2018. This is his fifth season as Orioles manager. Uh, his contract status isn't exactly clear, but where are you on Brandon Hyde? Yeah. I really like Brandon and Hyde. I think the guys really like him. I think they play hard for him because, um, like you said, he's been here for the you know the worst season in franchise history. And and you know we thought he was Bo Porter coming into the coming into his kind of career with the Orioles. Like oh yeah, like you said, they'll hire him. They had Buck Britton who was down I think in Bowie at the time that Hyde was was um, hired, and it was kind of like oh that's going to be the guy. He's going to be the guy who's now he's now in Norfolk, but that's going to be the guy who's going to lead this team because. He's been with all the young prospects for all this time, and he's going to come up with them and climb the ladder with them. And now it's like, I, you know, I, I think Hyde should definitely be in the running for manager of the year with, again, what he's done. Um, I, I like him a lot. Like I said, the guys really play hard for him. And I think you've seen it. There's been a couple times where when he called out Chris Davis in the dugout and Chris Davis, like, went after him. Again, say what you want optically, visually about that. I, I liked it because, again, they were an awful team. They were dog water. And he's calling out, you know, the highest paid player on the team. And again, he knew, listen, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pawn here. I'm going to get fired, you know, the second that they find someone better. And, and, you know, I'll be done. But I think he's like, you know, listen, when you're playing under me, you're not going to do that. You're not going to play like that. And then the other one was the Robbie Ray thing uh, two years ago, where, again, they were a bad team. And Robbie Ray had some stuff to say on the mound. And he's yelling at him from the dugout. And I think as a player, if you're going, you know what? Yeah, we are 40 games under 500. But you know what? Our manager isn't going to let someone disrespect us like that. And they go to war for him. And, again, you see it. I mean, they get punched in the mouth by the Yankees last week. And, and, and you know, one of the, the Baltimore Sun reporters asks him, you know, hey, we got, we got you know, you guys are playing awful baseball right now. And he goes, listen, we got five games left. 
we have to play better. And all they did was outscore their opponents 44 to 9. So, again, he I think he has the pulse of the team better than anyone. I really, really think they enjoy him and they 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 just play well for him. He he gets every ounce of talent out of these guys. So yeah, I, I was again when he came in, I had no I, I didn't really know what to think of him. Again, I said he's gonna be fired, they're gonna bring up Buck Britton and and you know, we'll go from there. And now it's like you know, when are, when are we talking extension? Keep him here. I mean, again, it, it, whatever he, him and the, the ownership are doing in, in front office, it's working. So, again, why I don't see why you would get rid of him. And, you know, it's the same thing people say it about Harbaugh around here. They're like, oh, you got to fire Harbaugh. It's like, well, who, who are you going to get? Like, who is there anyone out there who's better than him right now? No. So, again, I think I think Hyde is the guy, and I would love to see him stick around again for, for as, long as, as long as they'll have him. Yeah, that Chris Davis incident was really powerful, and that happened in August 2019, so during Brandon Hyde's first season as Orioles manager. Well, uh, we'll see what happens with the O's the rest of this season. The post-All-Star break portion of their season is beginning with three consecutive series against teams uh, with some of the best records in the majors, a six-game homestand against the National League wildcard leading Miami Marlins and National League West leading Los Angeles Dodgers, and then a big four-game series at the American League leading Tampa Bay Rays. But, you know, Eric, with that Marlins series, as you would say, the O's will win two out of three, probably sweep. It's funny because I started tweeting that like a couple years ago and Masson's Rock Kabatka would always tweet out the probables. And I used to go, who cares? Like, I think it was like 2018 or 19. I go, ah, who cares? And it slowly morphed into like, oh, the one, two out of three, probably sweet. And like <laughs> early in the year, people were like, holy crap, dude, this is, it's working. And I'm like, hey, squeaky wheel gets the oil. I've been saying it enough. Like it's about time it came true. So two out of three, probably sweet. Look, look for it on a t-shirt uh, sometime soon. Well, it's great. Cracks me up every time. Uh, Keep doing what you're doing. Eric Arditi of Barstool Sports, co-host of the Exit 52 podcast, a huge Orioles fan. Eric, all the best to you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 611. We'll have a lot for you on the Commanders and on the rest of our Washington, D.C. area sports weekend. The Nationals this weekend have a three-game series at the St. Louis Cardinals. The Orioles this weekend have a three-game series against the Miami Marlins at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. You know, it's a shame about it. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was really a shame. It goes so suddenly like that. I ain't dying for years. Sure, but uh, the end was very, very sudden. He was in intensive care for eight weeks. Yeah, but I mean the very end. When he actually died, that was extremely sudden. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.